It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment, and my favorite portion of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic, literally any topic. I don't know if you get the answer you want, but I'll try to answer it. Go to Twitter, hit Rick up with hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. We are doing this podcast a day early because the Bengals play on Thursday night, which also means Thursday, I shouldn't say Thursday night, I guess this would technically be early Friday morning, we will drop the Bengals postgame podcast, so kind of two podcasts in a, in a short period of time for us. Uh, but Rick, here we are again, another big week of college football and a very quick turnaround week for the Bengals. It feels like they just played five minutes ago. It definitely feels like we just got done recording that episode about five minutes ago, the Bengals recap podcast from Sunday night. They beat the Jets 27-12. to And on Thursday night, you mentioned they'll take on the undefeated Miami Dolphins who are coming off a huge win over the Bills last week. Skinny, I mentioned after we did Sunday night's recap podcast that I wanted to talk about Bengals win totals. A FanDuel Sportsbook currently has the Bengals over-under for total wins set at 8.5. It was at 9.5 when we talked about it before the season. We were both on the over side of that. Where are you at now on over-under 8.5 wins for this Bengals team? And also, how much does the result of Thursday night's game change how you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, that would be one I would probably have to put in the win column. I, I still think I would trend towards over because if if I do it, and we talked about this when I did my prediction column at Local12.com of how I put games in three categories, likely win, likely loss, and, and toss-up games. Um, and I had nine games in the toss-up category. Now, they've already lost one of the likely wins, which was the the Steelers' home game. They've also lost one of the toss-up games against Dallas, but they also have another game that, that they that I had in the likely win category at the Jets. This Dolphins game I had as a, as a, as a toss-up, if suddenly you've lost a game you should have won, in my opinion, and you've lost two of the toss-up games already, because I had this team going 10-7 and seven with six likely wins, meaning they had to win four toss-up games out of nine. Now suddenly you got to win four toss-up games out of seven, and that margin for error becomes slimmer and slimmer. But I still think this is a playoff team. I still think it's a really good football team, and I do think this team goes over eight and a half wins. I would agree. I would have them over eight and a half wins for now. If they win this Dolphins game, I think it's huge about in terms of the way people feel about this team. Yes. And if they win it, then it's easy to see them getting to nine wins. If they lose, it's not that it gets incredibly hard from the math standpoint. You can still find your way to nine wins there. The problem is, I think you have to start asking some hard questions about the flaws we've seen in this team. And it's not because Miami's bad. Miami's a good team. You can legitimately lose that game. But the problem is, if you continue to lo- lose these toss-up games or these games that you should win at some point we just have to start questioning is the line just not good enough for this team to overcome and win these 50 50 games this year or what is it about this team that has kept them from winning those types of games and and i think you start asking deeper questions and then all of a sudden i mean you start looking at the schedule i think at saints is a game you mark down as still a, a should win falcons panthers should wins at Patriots, maybe. Trending I mean, that way. Yeah, trending that way. It feels that way because of the way the Patriots are playing. But, I mean, you're still asking Zach Taylor to go beat Bill Belichick on the road. Um, and then maybe at the Steelers as, as a replay. I mean, I feel good about right. that game as a Bengals fan, but I don't know that that's a, a rivalry game on the road. I don't know that you can necessarily mark that down as a, a on should a, win. On a Monday night off of the bye. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about I, I can find four, wi- four games that I, I would put in the – feel pretty good about column. But yeah, I mean, if you don't win this one, all of a sudden the rest of those games, it'd feel like it'd be tough to make it to nine wins, I think. Yeah, and, and you can just see how slim the margin for error is, both positive and negative in this league. You know, the Bengals lose that opener literally because their long snapper gets hurt. Um, that wasn't the only reason, but certainly you can point to that as being a major reason why. Um, you know, they, they rally back and dominate Dallas over the last two-plus quarters, but then can't get out of their own way at the end of the game, and it helps the helps the uh, Cowboys kick a field goal at the gun to win it. You flip it to Miami, they're getting their ass kicked at Baltimore down 35-7, have a miraculous comeback to win. Last week, they were literally dominated by Buffalo. Buffalo had the football for 40 minutes and 40 seconds to Miami's 19 minutes and 20 seconds, but they found a way to win. And that's kind of what this league is, is, is just finding ways sometimes. And the Bengals haven't, one, because of bad luck, two, because of, of 
kind of not playing very well in a, in a, in a, on a key juncture at the end of the game. And for Miami, it's been, oh my gosh, that was kind of a crazy comeback. And then last week you get dominated and find a way to win. It's just, that's this league in a nutshell. You've been in the, the press conferences and everything this week leading up to the Thursday night game. Where are we at in terms of the DJ Reader situation and any other injuries for the Bengals right now? Yeah, DJ Reader is, is I mean, he, I knew he wasn't going to play this week. And Kelsey Conway from the Enquirer uh, quoted sources as saying that it's probably going to be an extended period of time without DJ Reader. That that makes sense to me. I know DJ after the game told Jay Morrison of the Athletic um, that that he felt pretty pretty positive about it. But when you come out of the game with a knee injury and you're immediately ruled out, which is basically what happened to DJ Reader, you know it's significant at that point. You usually will get, if it's not so bad, you'll get the questionable designation or the doubtful to return. They'll take him to the locker room. They'll look at, no, he was declared out. Um, so that right away raised a red flag. The short week raised a red flag. And now further tests seem to raise a further red flag. The unfortunate part for us as reporters, um, other than Kelsey's report from sources, is we talked to Zach on Monday and I asked him about DJ and he said, we're still trying to get further, further um, information on it. I said, do you think he'll play Thursday again? I'm not going to talk about that until I find out more. Well, we didn't have Zach available Tuesday. The team is closed down for us on Wednesday. The only way we're going to know for sure that he's out is when we get the official injury report on Wednesday, which I, it's going to say he's out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just, it's a bad situation because he is a big part of this defense. The thing I would say though is, is, this is probably a lesser game for a DJ Reader impact because Miami has struggled so much to run the ball and they have relied so much on big plays that this really, in my opinion, comes down to a pass rush and and, and secondary game with Jalen Waddle and, and Tyree Kill. But long term, and this sounds like it is long term, uh, this defense will miss DJ Reader. Yeah, that's that's a good point because I was just going to ask you about that because DJ Reader has been awesome to start the year. We talked about it Sunday night. I, Trey Hendrickson probably has popped a little more just because the nature of his position and, and some of the, you know, the turnovers that he had last week were huge in that game. But in terms of play in play out, there's been nobody on this team better than DJ reader. But with Miami, you do have an opponent that, you know, they're 31st in the NFL second to last in yards per rush. So, while losing DJ Reader is undoubtedly going to hurt and it changes who you are up front on that defensive line, this is one game where it may not cost you as much as it otherwise would. Yeah, I, I do think, and I wrote a piece uh, at Local12.com, a pretty long piece um, into this defense and the success it's having. And I, I use the caveat of, of, yes, I know who they've played the first three weeks and this will be the best test. But the thing that I think makes this defense so good, and I, I I was on record before the year started saying I thought this was going to be a top 10 defense, and I think they're proving to be not just because of opponents, but they are just so complementary for each other. You mentioned Reader. He's the he's the run stuffer, the gap stuffer. That then allows you to get into some good down and distance circumstances that then lets Trey Hendrickson go sack the quarterback, and you can use your sub packages because you get him in down in distances and Sam Hubbard's just that rock solid other end who does some of the dirty work setting the edge and and playing the run game well and occasionally getting to the quarterback and we saw Rick I still can't discount that interception Logan Wilson made that's one of the best plays I've ever seen a player make in the NFL for him to be in the a gap just right at the snap and have to as Lou Anarumo said haul ass to the middle of the field and then catch the ball and then return the ball it just shows you how special a player he's becoming and this secondary I know people don't like passer rating but it is a metric um, you can use QBR if you want because it, it correlates somewhat to what I'm about to say. You know, they, they've held opposing passers to 72.1 rating, which is, uh, you know, fifth fifth lowest in the NFL. And again, I know the caveat of it's Trubisky and Rush and Flacco. It's not it's not this group, but I also watched what this group did last year twice to Pat Mahomes. And so I, I do. I think this is a really good unit. It will miss DJ Reader, though. Yeah, one thing that's going to be interesting for me in this game is third downs on that defensive side of the football for the Bengals. Miami's one of the top teams in the NFL and converting third down opportunities, converting at almost uh, 48.5%. And the Bengals are top 10 in the NFL in defensive third down conversion th percentage. So um, I think that's going to be huge in this game as well. Is there anything else about this game and the way that these two teams match up that really jumps out at you when you look at them? Yeah, I mean, there's two things. Obviously, it's it's the quarterbacks going against each other, Tua versus Burrow, both in the same draft class with Justin Herbert. Um, probably not like that 2004 draft class of Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and, and Philip Rivers, two Hall of Famers, in my opinion, for sure, and maybe uh, another one in, in Rivers. That's three Hall of Famers. 
I don't know if this group's trending to that way yet, but you remember the whole conversation, you know, Tua came into the league hurt and then, you know, kind of struggled when he started to play. And it was, oh gosh, he's just a dink and dunker and he's never going to amount that. Well, all of a sudden Tua is this guy that's got two downfield weapons and they're using them pretty well, aren't they? I, I think sometimes that that happens to us all. I mean, we, we make all these snap judgments on player. Remember Josh Allen, oh, he's just got a big hose. Well, now he's He's, he's, a, he's a playmaker. Lamar Jackson can't throw. Well, now Lamar Jackson throws it pretty well. So, I, I, you know, some guys hit the ground running. Joe Burrow hit the ground running as a rookie. Justin Herbert hit the ground running as a rookie. It's taken two a little bit of time, but two has proven to be a first-round pick for a reason, it looks like. And I think the biggest part to me, though, in this game when you look at it is the fact that, as I mentioned before, that Dolphins defense in the heat on Sunday was on the field for 40 minutes and 40 seconds, and they had to play 90 snaps and then turn around and go on the road and play on a Thursday night, if you can somehow get, get the football first and grind out a drive or two, and I know this is it's easier said than done, but if you can do that and wear them down quickly, I think you put yourself at just such a huge advantage because that defense, it has to be gassed. It, just, it already has to be gassed. I, I want to bring up a couple points about that. One, you bring up Tua and the, the quarterback situation. I think as much as anything, it has to do with, who is calling the plays for you and who is running your offense? Because and uh, you your weapons at, and your weapons. I mean, they drafted uh, Jalen Waddle and got Tyree Kill. Those are two pretty good dudes. That That's huge. There's no doubt about it. But I also think Mike McDaniel deserves a lot of credit for that. And I mean, this is a, a weird comparison, but I think look at Minnesota and a guy that we know really well. We're talking about college football. A guy we really know well in Tanner Morgan, who came out of Ryle High School. I mean, he has a great year. And I think it was 2019 or about three years ago. Loses his offensive coordinator for two years, really struggles. They get the same offense coordinator back this year, and all of a sudden he's back to setting the world on fire. And and, and so it's four and zero. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing how much that can matter sometimes. I think Mike McDaniel is getting a lot of praise for his play calling. It's it's well deserved because they've they've been great and and two has been great. You mentioned the Miami defense. I have a hard time figuring out this Miami team in terms of their defense because if you look at their numbers. They're not great through the first four weeks in terms of where they rank in different categories, but you also have that weird week two game against Baltimore that I think really kind of skewed the stats a little bit. Well, you can say that, Rick, but I can also then point to week one against the pedestrian New England offense that maybe skewed it back in a positive direction for them. Exactly right. And that's what that's what I'm asking. Like, how do you sort that out right now with this Miami team? Because even from a betting perspective, I find like if you're trying to look at overs or unders, it's kind of tough to do with Miami right now. Like, yes, they have two in that passing game and they they can make the big plays, uh, but they've also won some lower scoring games and and kind of have won with their defense in, in two of the three games. So it's like, what? how do you sort that out in your head? Um, I, I think you you look at just kind of the the, the body of work overall and and they were opportunistic in the buffalo game they had that great goal line stand they stopped the kid at the end of the game where, when he should have gone out of bounds and it could have led to a, to a buffalo field goal um you know luana room was a big one to tell and he's right it's not about yards it's about points so they've done a good job of of limiting points and they even did that when they had to in the baltimore game i think it's been a defense that when it's had to make a play has made a play but when you say that that always teeters on yeah, but that sometimes is a product of just good fortune. And I I don't think this is a great Miami defense. I, I, I think these last two games are kind of indicative of they're going to give up a bunch. Um, to their credit, they, they made stops when they had to. Like I said, down Baltimore, they kept getting stops and getting the ball back for their offense, and their offense made plays. And in this game, you know, in 90 snaps, man, against an offense of Buffalo's caliber and to hold them to 19 points and two of those came because your punter punted up the butt of the, the punt protector. Um that that's being opportunistic, but I'd rather be good than opportunistic to be quite frank. Anything else that has come out over the, the past week as we're leading up to this game? Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit on Sunday and, and it was brought up. I know I heard a lot of fans on, on talk shows this week, try to point to, to, you know, should you get some Ajay P Ryan more touches because of the way he ran it and to his credit, he ran it great in that fourth quarter. Um, but uh, Zach made it pretty clear that, that the rotation is the rotation that, that we see for right now. I, I asked him, is, you know, are there some things that Joe can do better to maybe help this run game? And, and Zach pointed to the whole operation as I knew he was going to and say it's one guy on this play, one guy on that play. Look, I'm at the stage now, three games in, going into game four. I don't care who's at fault. Let's figure it out. And, and if it means, honestly, 
Samaj P. Ryan gets more carries, and maybe Samaj P. Ryan gets more carries. I don't know if I can completely point to Joe Mixon at this point. It's not fair because they haven't blocked very well up front. But you need to start running the ball better because um, it's going to cost you eventually if you don't. Yeah, I'm not against them giving Samaj P. Ryan more tries just to see if it'll spark something else. And and he did have that success late in the game on Sunday. But I'm also not convinced that's translating to a normal game I don't situation. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm with you on that, Rick. The, I, the only thing I did like was the consistency of runs because it was I charted them in a, in a in my three takeaways piece on Tuesday of, uh, to try to answer that question that people had of you know with the running back rotation change and you know saying that it won't. But you know, pointing the fact that in P. Ryan that, that drive, he, you know, he carries it. Uh, what was it? Nine times for for forty seven yards, five yeah. yards a pop. But it was it wasn't like a twenty yard gain here and a one yard. It was literally like six, six, seven, seven, four, 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 two, six. He had one run of less than four yards, which shows me he's just worried about going forward. And maybe maybe Joe saw that and said, okay, I'll hit the home run when I can hit it. I'm I'm not going to try to hit it on every single point. It feels like that's kind of what he's trying to do. Yeah, hey, I, I would agree with that in terms of the running styles, but I would also say being up late in the game in that type of situation and against a team that's not very good going heavy sets and running right at them. Yes. It's impressive that you're able to do it and that's a good sign and all those things. But I also just don't think it really translates to the next game against the Miami Dolphins no, undefeated team yeah. when you're trying to like catch them off guard and run a real offense. So yeah, no, I think that, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I just, I I'm not, I'm not really sold on the Samaj P Ryan storyline at all, to be quite honest. And lastly, I would hope if they win the coin toss, they do what they did this last week. I know that they say it's week to week and they talk about it after inactives every week. And every week they usually come to the decision to, uh, to defer, which they've, they've done 26 of 27 times prior to Sunday. Sunday's just the second time they've done that in the Zach Taylor era, but you had success doing it. And I know that was kind of the whole, we got to do something different to get things kicked. Well, you did and you got it kickstarted. How about you do it again? Yeah, you'd be an idiot to go away from it after what you just saw. I mean, Agreed. Even even just for the standpoint of like uh, not tempting fate or luck, right. what have you, like or, even just from a silly guessing. perspective, you cannot go back on what you just did last week that worked perfectly in terms of taking the football first. So, or or, or, fr- or frankly, honestly, Rick and I think coaches sometimes or having to answer that question in the press conference if you lose of why didn't you take the ball again? They jump out to a seven nothing lead and now you're behind again. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's exactly right. I mean you just look dumb for doing that if you go back on it. You're being stubborn. It's like what everyone in the world, you know, any kid that saw that happen as a fourth grader or fifth grader would be like, yeah, we're gonna do that again. Obviously, it's just. It's just a normal thing. Don't be too stubborn about this. Don't overthink exactly. it. It's like, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it worked last time. Just do it again. Just do it again. All right, Skinny, let's move on to the college football side of things. Week four is in the books. Ohio State is still number three. Kentucky up a spot to number seven in the AP poll. And Cincinnati is still unranked. Or they moved up several spots in the others receiving votes category. They're now up to number 27. Let's start with Cincinnati because I think they had the most impressive win of the week. Oh, you could debate it with Ohio State blown out Wisconsin, but Cincinnati beats Indiana 45 to 24. And this was a game that I was waiting to see because Indiana isn't very good skinny, but it was still one of those sort of measuring stick games for Cincinnati on a schedule where they don't have a lot of them to say, okay, I think they might be as good as we think they are. Uh, Ben Bryant was great. Again, he tossed for 354 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Tyler Scott, the wide receiver, had 10 catches for 185 yards and three touchdowns. UC was up 38 to 10 at halftime of this one. Yeah, and then the second half was three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out city. I mean, um, there are some red flags. And listen, I'm I'm bullish on this team. I've been since, since you know, before the Arkansas game. Um, and Ben Bryant's been great. Those receivers are dynamic. I, I think I said, you know, after that Arkansas game, I think this has a chance to be a more dynamic offense than last season. I think it is. But one of the staples of, of of the Luke Fickle era has been the ability to run the football. And, and man, 24 carries for 40 yards against Indiana's defense? Really? Yeah, you'd like to be better than that. It's I find it hard to uh, do too much criticizing when you pull off a 21-point win Agreed. against Indiana. I mean, Agreed. But there's a couple of red flags from that. I will sure. say, for the defense to play 104 plays and hold Indiana to 24 points, my goodness. It's weird seeing the some of these scores for UC because their defense was so dominant last year. 
Like, I don't think Indiana scores more than a touchdown on UC's defense from last year. But, but I think it, I think it's a little – but UC now is that kind of a home run hitting team right now. And sometimes yeah, it's that different. Means there, are, there are more possessions for the opposition. And, um, you know, it is a Big Ten team, and you're going to give the Big Ten team more oppos- more more chances at the football than, than what a normal game would be and give them 104 snaps. 24 points is still pretty good in my opinion. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, if you're scoring 45, it's fine. You know, I mean, it's, it's a different team. There just don't seem to be as much of the ball control conservative team that they were last year. And to your point, like their offense is, is moving the ball too. to put up 38 points in the first half against a big 10 opponent. I don't care who you're playing. It doesn't matter which big 10 team it is. I'll take that every day uh, for Cincinnati or any team in the American. Um, Anything else from this game that, that you saw or, this you know, I, I, I thought, you know, for, for anybody that was maybe a little worried about that game because of the revenge thing and IU jumping out last year and, um, you know, all of those things that came with it, um, you know, they 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 won in dominating fashion. And, and I go back, I, I still don't understand why this Arkansas loss is being discounted as just another loss. I mean, they played really well and, and Arkansas was up to a top 10 team at one point. Now we'll see. Now they got a chance to run the table inside the league. There's not a ton of tough games, although they've always had trouble with Tulsa, which we'll talk about when we get to our gambling segment. Um, but yeah, I mean, now you're in that case of run the table again and probably playing a New Year's Six Bowl. That's three straight damn years for something special. That's impressive. Ohio State blew out Wisconsin 52-21. This game was 21 to nothing after the first quarter. C.J. Stroud had five touchdowns. He finally threw his first interception of the season. The Buckeyes also ran all over the Badgers. Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams each had over 100 yards. Williams also had two touchdowns. Skinny, I I knew Wisconsin was not a very good football team, but again, the, this Ohio State offense continues to, to round into form the way we expected. No, but this was supposed to be, and on, on paper is, and from a lot of pundits was, a pretty good Wisconsin defense. We knew their offense was trash. Um, but we, you know, this, it's usually a very rock solid defense. It, it looked like on paper it was this year. I go back to, I don't care who Ohio state's playing. They listen, they looked ugly in the Notre Dame game. And some of that, I think Notre Dame has shown us at least respectable on defense. And they finally got their offense cranked up last week. Arkansas state's just that first ugly non-conference game. They had a punt return call back for a touchdown or they would have scored over 50 in that game. Uh, Toledo, they put up 77. Now their first Big Ten team, they put up 52. I said before the year started, I'll be disappointed if this offense doesn't average 50 yards and it's averaging like 49 points. right now. Yeah, yeah so um, yeah, I, I I think they're going – yeah, points, sorry. Um, I, I think they're going to roll up 50 on just about everybody they play. They're, they're impossible to stop. Yeah, I know, and the, the problem is they – were, they they screwed us those first two weeks with the Notre Dame and Arkansas State games. The fact that they you know they only had forty five that second week against Arkansas State didn't cover the spread, didn't get to the over. You're kind of looking at it like, ah oh, man, now now I'm a little gun shy with this offense. But you look at what they've done the last two weeks. They put up seventy seven on Toledo, easily covered that over of sixty three in that game, fifty two last week against Wisconsin, easily covered that over of fifty six and a half. Uh, we, we'll talk about more of this when we get to the betting segment, but now, you know, you see these spreads 40 and a half against Rutgers, a, a total of 59 in that game. It, we're, we're to a weird spot with this Ohio state team, but I think I'm to the point where I'm back to trusting the offense and the high scoring totals. I just don't know who's going to be able to stop them the rest of the way. Like even looking at that Michigan state game at Michigan state. Now they're terrible. terrible. Like, I don't know that that's going to be any type of game at all. They're I mean, going to be favored they, by two they, touchdowns on the road there. Dude, they have two tough games and potentially one trap game. The two tough games are at Penn State because it's on the road. And Penn State's legitimate. I don't think they're, you know, top five legitimate, but they're certainly top ten legitimate. And obviously Michigan, and I still don't know how legitimate they are. And then the trap game comes the week before Michigan because of the week before Michigan. you got to go play at Maryland, and I think Maryland's a pretty good team. But, other, I mean, they got a chance to be favored by literally double digits in, in every one of these games, including at Penn State. I think they will. I think they will be. I, in fact, I think there'll be two touchdowns against pretty much everyone except oh, Penn sure. State. Yeah, yeah, 20, 20 plus points against several. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just all of a sudden it's it's opening up really fast, and we pretty much knew it would. Uh, there were some slight concerns after those first two games about the offense, the way things were going, but you knew they were going to get on track, and they've they've definitely done that. Got a buddy of mine who made a preseason wager. He's made he made, he made a handful of these on on win totals. I think he made five. One one of my favorites is he took Colorado under like three wins, and they're not going to win a game. They're that was so a awful. great call. Yeah, they're yes. the worst. 
pro, uh, power conference team right now. But two of the bets he made were on Ohio State. He got Ohio State at 11 and had to pay a little extra juice over 11, which means they have to go undefeated. And then he took them at 11 and a half and got a little extra juice back in his favor, which again means they have to go undefeated. But how many sweats are you going to have? Two? At if, this if, point? If, if, if they're even sweats? Yeah, I mean, originally looking at it, you thought the Notre Dame game, the Wisconsin game might be tougher. Now we're in the situation that, yeah, it's like I'm struggling to find three games left that are even going to be difficult for them. Right. You're really going to need some type of Big Ten team to play the game of the week and and try to put them on upset alert. But I think, honestly, what you pointed out, maybe that Maryland game the week before the Michigan game is is actually their best chance just because I don't think there's a chance in hell that they will lose to Michigan this year. I don't either. I'm, I'm with, I think Michigan showed some flaws finally that didn't show up the first three weeks because they just so overmatched some people. Um, I, I just don't – I I'm not sure what their offensive identity is right now. Well, and you've also just got what happened last and I do, year. And I, mean, say, and I do think – yeah, I do think Maryland's pretty good too. I will say that. I don't think they're bad. I don't think, you know, you would – there's no chance you would pick them just to beat Ohio State for no reason. I can get behind the, uh, the overlook game, the trap game narrative a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, Kentucky beat Northern Illinois 31-23 last week. Will Levis threw for four touchdowns in this one. Tavion Robinson had 147 yards, two touchdowns on seven catches. Also, Barry and Brown had four catches for 102 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Skinny, this was not an impressive game from the Cats. They didn't come anywhere near close to covering that 26.5-point spread. They win by just a touchdown. Now, they were up a little bit bigger than that, and, and Northern Illinois made it look closer at the end of the game. But, uh, again, the offensive line really has me concerned. Levis was sacked five times in this one and, and was under a lot of pressure. Yeah, that, that's the part that is really concerning now. And, and, and I know maybe the whole thought process is Chris Rodriguez returns this week, and that will fix the running game automatically. And but Cravasi ran is, pretty well last week. Yeah, no, I think Cravasi has actually run pretty well. He's not; he doesn't run with the power Chris does, and Chris really is good at yards after contact. Cravasi is kind of more of an edge guy, in my opinion. But um, I think Chris will help the run game. But the question is, will it help enough to get them in some better down and distances? Um, and 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 part of the problem for Kentucky really is they. It, it feels like it's it's home run or bust for them in the past game. And that's not a knock on Will because Will's thrown a lot of those home runs and those freshman wide receivers and Tavion Robinson are so good and so fast that, that you can do that. But you need to start sustaining some drives. And um, a lot of the times you can't sustain drives when you're second and 16 because of a sack or you're second and 12 because of a negative run play or you're third and 14. And then Will, he's thrown four picks. It feels like he's thrown more than that, right? But, you know, he will occasionally try to force one because he feels like he has to make a play. Um, I also think, though, it's the human nature aspect of sports that we all fail to realize, myself included, when we look at games. You know, this was another bye game. Players know it's another bye game. You got the SEC gauntlet coming up, starting with, you know, you've played an SEC game, but you come off of those, the, the, the win at Florida with a couple of just easy bye games. They didn't play great against Youngstown for a while either. That that was a slow start. Um, and so I, I think there's some of that factored in that it was such a high to beat Florida to get your SEC schedule off to, to a big start. I think they'll rise to the challenge at Ole Miss. We'll talk about that in the gambling segment more, but I, I, the one concern for sure is the offensive line. And um, listen, you had three of four games to really gel with by teams in there by, by game wins in there that, you know, allowed you to mix and match and shuffle and, and try to get things right. And you didn't. And that is a concern. Yeah. I was hoping week four, uh, against an, an overmatched opponent wasn't going to be the worst looking week from the offensive line standpoint. And it kind of was that's, yep. you know, I mean, they, they looked as bad against Northern Illinois as they did against Florida, I thought, and that's not a good sign. So uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the fact that they weren't able to get that together yet is a bit of a concern as you enter sec play, but uh, we'll talk more about the matchup with Ole Miss here in a minute, because I am interested in that from a national perspective last week, skinny, not sure that there's a ton to talk about, but I do want to ask you about uh, this one game. Stephen F. Austin played NAIA Warner. Did you happen to see this? I did not. Do you know what the score was by any chance? Well, based on what you're telling me, I should have known, but I'm going to say I'll go 92 to 7. Pretty close. Uh, Stephen F. Austin beat NAIA Warner 98 to nothing. Ooh. And uh, interesting moment late, uh, kind of late in the game. I think there was still about five or six minutes left maybe when this happened, when they scored their final touchdown of the game, Skinny. 
and they go up by 98. They go out to t- in a two-point conversion uh, setup and end up just taking a knee there to, to finish with 98. And then fortunately, mercifully, the clock was able to run out after that. I think Warner got a first down or two, and then uh, they were able to just kill it when Stephen F. Austin got the ball back. Steve, what, what would you have done? Would you have gone for the two-point conversion to make it an even 100, or do you do you kneel it like they did there? It's or do you just a, kick the extra point and sit on 99? I was just saying, I think I kicked the extra point and sit on 99. I, th- I think Go for way, a hundo. I, I, yeah, I, I, the- I, knew, I knew where you were going to land on this. So, yeah. So, so I, I'm, but – what, you, what, is, you're being a good sport now after you scored 17 touchdowns against well, them? Like, come on. No, that, that, that points you're, – you're right about that part. But the, the thing with the extra point is the, the kneel down, I think, is as embarrassing as going for the two to get to the hundo. Wait, it, it, it's it, more embarrassing. Yeah, the, the, the kick to get to 99 is just a natural point after touchdown at that point. Yeah, but if you're Stephen F. Austin, don't you want to just like – you're at this point. It's a bad situation for everyone. Don't you just want to put a hundred to nothing on your recruiting pamphlets for next year? Even if Austin had to be a buy game for somebody too, right? Oh, for most people they play, I would assume. Yeah, I would. I would hope. Yeah, Man, I guess I, Lamar rejoined their conference or something, and that screwed up everyone's schedule, so they were scrambling to fill games, and that's how they ended up with one of the worst NAIA teams of the country and, and beat them ninety-eight to nothing. But well, that that part is 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 fine. But I mean, was that team that bad? Apparently they were. Uh, yeah, if you look at some of their other scores this year, it hasn't been pretty. And at 98 to nothing is their worst loss to this point. But By, by the way, Stephen F. Austin, I just looked up two weeks ago, they lost to Louisiana Tech 52-17. to They lost to Jacksonville State 42-17 as well. Uh, Jacksonville State's actually a pretty good FCS team. They, they, they're, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, I, I agree, but they also lost 42-17. So, uh, yeah, not exactly a, a powerhouse. Stephen F. Austin here that we're talking about. Big, big day for for C. Holland the third for Warner. He carried ten times for fifty yards. Wow, that might be a season high for them. My land, Stephen F. Austin. They they were twenty. They were twenty nine of. Let me do this. They were twenty nine of thirty five passing for almost five hundo. Hell, Rick. They only ran the ball seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 17 times. Come on, dude. Skinny. It, it, it was a mess. They would kick off, go down to cover the kick, hit the guy, blow up the returner, and the ball would just go flying. Then they'd recover and then score. I mean, it was just, it was a mess. They, they'd run a play. Guy would bust through the line, run for a touchdown. I mean, there's nothing some, they could do. Here's some of my other favorite stats. So they had four punt returns in the game that did, uh, did Stephen F. Austin, according to the stats I'm looking at. One dude returned one for 61 yards. Another dude returned one for 60. Another dude returned one for 52 yards and a touchdown. And the the shortest return was 22 yards. Boy, this team must have been horrifying. Yeah, it, it was it was a real disaster. It was like to the point where you actually felt bad for the other team. So hmm. I did not see that score. Shame on me. Yeah. Stephen F. Austin beats Warner 98-0. Glad oh, we were able to get that. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Let's switch gears here. College basketball got back to action this week. Teams are allowed to start practice. 42 days before the start of the season. UC started on Monday, Xavier on Tuesday, and NKU will get underway today, Wednesday, as we're recording this. We already have our first storyline of the year. It was announced on Tuesday that Xavier forward Zach Fremantle is suspended indefinitely from team activities. Let's start there, Skinny. What do you make of Zach Fremantle being suspended from the team? Well, we don't know why, but I think we can all surmise why. But um, look, I, I, I think it is a situation where, you know, Either you want to be there or you don't, dude. And and, and if you don't want to be there and, and you don't want to do the things that the new coach wants you to do and grow up a little bit, then honestly, just give it up at this point. I I, I like Zach's skill set. He had a terrible year last year, and he's gotten off to a rotten start. Now, that said, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that he was having a pretty good summer, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, as recently as I think it was two or three weeks ago, Sean Miller was mentioning him first. When he was talking about experienced guys who have, have done well in the summer and stuff, he was saying that on a podcast recently. And I heard just last week, Zach looked very good in a scrimmage with the team, and, and there were positive things being said about him within the program. So I do think something clearly happened within the last week that probably triggered the suspension. But I also think there were probably some other small things that have been going on that you, you termed it perfectly. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You've already you've already wasted a year of your career doing this stuff, and you ha- they had to put up with some nonsense with you last year, and here we are. 
So do you, because here's, here's the reality of this situation. Zach Fremantle is a talented player. Zach Fremantle can help a lot of different college teams, but Xavier was not much of a better team with Zach Fremantle on the court last year. And I'm not so sure that they fit all that well together when he and Jack Nungy are on the court together like they were last year. So Jack Nungy is your best or second best player behind Colby Jones. Zach, you're kind of the guy that's without a spot here if you don't get it together and start helping this team. So as much as, you know, I think some Xavier fans will wring their hands and say, this is a bad sign to start the year. I think one of two things happen. It's either Sean Miller holds Zachary Mal accountable and gets the most out of him finally this year, or you kind of quit relying on Zach Freeman and figure out where things stand. And I don't think you're all that much worse off for it. Agreed. Agreed. If you're a fan of each local team right now, skinny, we're going to do a little exercise here. What storyline would you want to hear emerging from your preseason practice reports? There's always those little narratives. You start hearing some rumblings. This guy looks really good, or this team has been rebounding really well or being more physical in practice or whatever it is. What would you like to hear from each local team? Let's start with Cincinnati. I would say that such and such is showing that he's a knockdown shooter, whoever that might be. I would go Landers Nolly is far and away the best player on the team. Good call, too. That's actually a really good call because you're kind of hoping he is that guy, right? Yeah, I think to me, that's the hope for upside for this UC team and how they make a jump forward is David DeJulius and Jeremiah Davenport were not enough firepower last year as the best two offensive players on that team. If you can knock each of them down a peg to where JD is now your third and Julius is now your second best offensive piece. Now all of a sudden you, you got a little something going there, I think, but that I don't think it can be a situation where one night landers Nolly can lead you in scoring, but then he disappears for two games. I think if I'm a UC fan, I'm really hoping landers Nolly is our go-to offensive piece. Yeah, I'm going to defer to you on Xavier because you know him better than I do. What would you say is the, is the number one storyline, obviously, other than, than the situation with Freeman? Yeah, I think the thing you're hoping to hear if you're a Xavier fan is that Sule Boom, the transfer from UTEP, yep. looks the part of a Big East point guard. Because if he doesn't, what's your answer? You're relying on a freshman and Desmond Claude to run the show, which, by the way, yesterday at practice, I was pretty impressed with the way he looked. But I don't think anyone feels great in this day and age about starting a freshman point guard unless you know they're like a five star. Let me, let, me um, ask you, let me ask you this, and, and, and you're right in what you say on both counts. You know, Adam Kunkel was a high school point guard. That doesn't always translate to college, but I always thought he was really comfortable with the ball in his hands, decision-making-wise, and it feels like he's just become nothing more than a shooter. Maybe that's all he is. Yeah, I, I don't see him. I think actually what would happen is if for some reason it's, you know, Sule Boom just isn't going to be a point guard and Desmond Claude isn't ready to shoulder at least the full game load yet, then I think Colby Jones would probably be the next option if if I had to be honest. Just from a, a ball handling standpoint and decision making standpoint, that's one thing. And and I think you're going to see a lot of this with the coaching changes. I think Adam Kunkel has to be more efficient to Agreed. for his game to work at this level. There's there's too many bad decisions, too many turnovers, sometimes over dribbling, sometimes heat check shots. And for him to to work at the Big East level, I don't think he can play that way the, the way he has the last two seasons. So I don't know that necessarily factors in exactly him playing point guard, but I think you'll see his game change a little bit this year, or at least I think it needs to for him to be most effective. Yeah. Uh, well, what about NKU skinny? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hate to be simplistic, but I want to, I want to hear that Sam Vincent is completely unguardable because I think he might be. I think that's a possibility too in this league. I mean, really by the time we got to the end of last season, he was, pretty dominant in some of those games and really took them over. And actually uh, I just heard Darren Horn. He was on with Lance McAllister a day or two ago. And he mentioned that something I didn't even realize, but Sam Vincent led the team in minutes played last year as a freshman. So, I mean, he got so much experience in that first year that I'm with you. And I do think he has made a jump. That'll be the question is like, how much of a jump is he going to be the most dominant player in the conference and be in contention for player of the year? Because I very much think that's a real possibility. The one question mark I have is, is is who's going to rebound the ball for this team? Or do you really have to do it by committee? Because it feels like well, this could be a four-guard team a lot of times. I mean, here's the thing. Chris Brandon was a monster on the glass last year, and he and Adrian Nelson kind of platooned that position a little bit. Chris Brandon is plenty capable of playing 30 minutes a game. 
So I think that, I mean, I think you got a guy at center who's going to average double digit rebounds more than likely if he's playing that many minutes. I'm not too concerned about the the rebounding because even uh, alongside him, when you put Trey Robinson in at that forward spot, you have one of the bigger, more athletic front courts in the Horizon League. Now, I think they'll probably start out with Trayvon Faulkner at that forward spot more than likely, but Trey Robinson is going to play a ton of minutes at the four and you're going to have Chris Brandon with them. And then when they go to the the backup on the bench, you're likely looking at a 6'11", 7 foot raw guy who, who, who say, say, his, last say, year. Say, say his name. You're just going to just call him Z. Emmanuel Zorgval. Thank you. They call him I man during uh, I mean, practice. Okay, I make it easy on everybody. That's yeah. a good club. But so, there, I mean, there are some interesting things there in the post. For me, though, the storyline that I'm most interested in here is going to be D2 transfer Xavier Rhodes, does he look comfortable running the show at the D1 level at point guard? Because we saw last year that Sam Vinson and this team was better when he slid off the ball and was their go-to scorer as opposed to running the offense and, and handling the ball all the time. God, I think he's so good with the ball in his hands, though. I, I know your point. But man, I agree, but so I'm just good. saying he w- like the team clearly got better when they moved Bryson Langdon back to point guard last year and made Sam Vincent their go-to scorer off the ball. And he still had the ball in his hands plenty. He can run the point. You can have him initiate the offense. But just so he's not constantly having to do all the ball handling and having teams run traps at him or different things like that. It, it kind of makes him a little easier to to scheme for uh, from an offensive standpoint. I and even even if he is your your normal point guard, I still think you have to have somebody else that's going to take care of some of the ball handling duty and right now the only real clear answer for that is the D2 transfer that they brought in Xavier Rhodes. So, he's very athletic, he's very fast. I think he's going to be good defensively. I just need to see what he's got from a decision-making standpoint and, and taking care of the basketball. And then finally, we've got Kentucky skinny. What do you think about this UK team? I need to hear that severe Wheeler is at least a capable jump shooter. I don't, I don't need him to be great. I don't need to be knocked down. I need him to be, be capable because again, if you're going to put the ball in his hands, he does create a lot of things, but eventually the better teams just say, shoot it guy. And, and I'm not sure what else they do at point guard other than that. Yeah, I think the the thing for me would be somewhat from a similar standpoint, not necessarily severe Wheeler, but I want to hear Antonio Rees and CJ Frederick are lighting it up. I think those two guys are going to be kind of key. I don't know how yes, big of a role CJ Frederick will play, but that, that's all well and good. But if you have to, if you can continue to back off of this little guy, I mean, how's he going to create for people? But, well, I think it makes it a little harder if you've at least got a dead eye shooter or two around him, because then you can do something like if you're playing way off me as a point guard. I can go dribble handoff to an elite shooter. And if you're way off of me now, all of a sudden, how do you guard that dribble handoff? Well, and I will say your offense is still going to go through, through Chibwe. Sure. But there are, but I think you'll agree as a coach, there are a lot, when you've got a team where severe Wheeler has nowhere to go that you're worried about in terms of shooters, it's a little bit different in how you can defend him and really sag off and just that's not fair. guard no, him. That, yeah, that's right. That's fair. If you've got an elite shooter or two on the wing with him, you can do a few more things to make defenses get sucked up and get into some of those ball screen actions a little more. And now all of a sudden you've got more space for Seville Wheeler to make. Well, plays say, that, for that, you. Yeah. Maybe that, that allows him to create more um, off the bounce and maybe create more for, for drop-offs to Jacob Toppin and to Shibway and, and even to Lance Ware. Um, so yeah, no. And that's been the hope here for the last couple of years. It felt like you're kind of trying to trend in that direction. You know, you, you, you had Kellen Grady, but you need more than that. You, you know, last year's, Group just it didn't fit again. It had nice pieces, but it didn't fit. You're right. You need it more to fit with more shooters. And it just feels like we're always saying that about you. I know it. Like, but, are they going to make shots? But, but and but it's here's that the, simple it, sometimes. It is. I mean, for the last handful of years, it's exactly what it's been. I, I can't imagine there's a UK fan who isn't thinking that right now. That I hope we shoot the ball better this year. And and to me, it's like you can want these five star freshmen to be good shooters. And that, and that's certainly a part of it. You know, you're better with a guy like a Tyrese Maxey. You can at least occasionally make a three than you are with some of the other young point guards that Kentucky has had that can't shoot at all. Yeah, so I, so much more athletic than everybody. They just went by people and went to the rim. Right. And, and, I mean, like it matters having those five stars that can shoot, but I don't think you're ever going to get knockdown shooters that are consistently making open three point shots out of those really young guys. That's just kind of not how college basketball works. Even really good shooters typically shoot lower than what their percentage is going to be for the rest of their career as a freshman. So I think that's kind of where, when I look at it, it's like, give me like, just make Antonio Reeves an elite guy that you brought him in to be from a three point shooting standpoint. And that will really help some of those other young pieces fit together. 
All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting segment. Pretty good week for both of us last week. You went five and three. You're now 17 and 13 overall. I went six and two last week to make up a game on you. I am 16 and 14 overall now. Both of us over 500 with our records. So uh, we'll start Thursday night, 815. We've got the Dolphins coming to Cincinnati. The Bengals are a four-point favorite, and the total is 47. Yeah, I, I think that that short turnaround for Miami's defense coming off that that 90 plus that 90 snap performance is just too much and, and they've given up a bunch of yards to, to to a good Buffalo offense again limited the points and gave up a bunch of points and a bunch of yards to Baltimore I think the Bengals took steps in the right direction offensively last week I think they take more steps in the right direction I'm gonna go Bengals 30 Dolphins 23 so the Bengals in the over for me all right, so you're going Bengals and over. That was that was the question that we were just talking about is what do you do with this Dolphins team and this Bengals team to some extent with the the totals here? You are opting to go over, though, uh, well, I guess by a decent amount. You've got them at 53, so almost a touchdown over um, the 47 there. I look at this. The Bengals have been under for three games with totals of 45, 42, and 46. Miami has been under two out of three games. Obviously, the Baltimore game being the outlier there. I think this game is going to stay lower scoring. I wanted to go 24-20, but that would put me right on a push there for the for the side. So I'm going to go 24-19 Bengals. Bengals just cover. You get a weird score, and it stays under. That brings us to Saturday at noon. We've got Kentucky going to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 54-and-a-half. Skinny, help me figure out why Ole Miss is a six and a half point favorite here. I think just the optics of Kentucky struggling with with Northern Illinois more than anything else, it, it is surprising to me too because it's not like, I mean, when you compare the two teams, Kentucky clearly has a, a signature win in going to Florida and winning, um, and I think winning convincingly. I know they had a rally from sixteen to seven down, but I think you know fairly convincingly. Um, and here's the wins for Ole Miss: Troy at home. Central Arkansas at home, Georgia Tech, which just fired its coach because they're so awful, and then they struggled to beat Tulsa last week at home, 35-27, and I fully say that knowing that they probably were peeking ahead to to, to Kentucky in the start of SEC play, but um, yeah, I, I I think this Kentucky team has enough resolve. You're not facing Matt Carroll. Um, you are facing Lane Kiffin, who seems to have Kentucky's number uh, when he calls plays, but uh, I'll go Kentucky. I just think their defense is, is good enough to get enough stops I'll go Kentucky 31, Ole Miss 27. So Kentucky outright. And what was the total? It was 54 and a half. So you are over. Any over. Yeah. For me, I just don't, I don't think we know what this Ole Miss team is yet. When you you name those four games, they just really haven't played much. And, and then even when you want to ding Kentucky for last week's showing against Northern Illinois, it's like, well, I mean, Ole Miss is in the same situation with that Tulsa performance last week where they only won by a touchdown. So I just don't, I mean, okay, it's at Ole Miss, so I, I see you giving them three and a half points, three points, four points, something in that regard, but uh, six and a half just doesn't make a lot of sense for me. Uh, I like Kentucky a lot in terms of the side, although it was at seven yesterday when I looked. I would like wow. it a lot more if I can get it for seven. feel really good about Kentucky yeah. keeping it within a touchdown. You can always buy it up. That's right. Um, but I'm going to go Kentucky winning outright here. Kentucky 24, Ole Miss 22. Another, I'm, I'm in on the goofy scores this week. Uh, Kentucky 24, Ole Miss 22. So that's UK and the under for me. Then Saturday at 3.30, we've got Rutgers at Ohio State. Uh, th- this is another game I'm struggling with here. Ohio State is a 40 and a half point what are you, favorite. What are, you, what are you struggling with? The total is 59. Well, I mean, Ohio State, they normally, you know how I am. I love a, a 40 point spread. I have no trouble taking that. Um, I have no trouble taking this over. I think Ohio State can score 50-something points by themselves to get to the 59. I, I just they, – they scared me a little bit after those first two weeks when they screwed me. The thing here, though, is Rutgers is so bad offensively that they They're won't all. be able to sustain drives, and it's going to give Ohio State multiple extra possessions. I'll go Buckeyes 59-7. Rutgers sneaks a touchdown in there. It does, You're going to sweat the over because just because Rutgers is so inept offensively. I mean, I think honestly, laying the forty and a half is 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 golden. It, it just it's such a it feels like such a good number to to to, to lay. I mean, I laid it last week with Alabama and Vandy. Two, I mean, I know you well, it's Vandy. Well, yeah, you know what? It's Rutgers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Rutgers is almost every bit as bad. Honestly, I'm not even sure who I would favor in that. They gave up twenty seven to Iowa. Who who do you favor in the Rutgers Vanderbilt game? Uh, Van. I think I take Vandy by two and a half on a neutral. 
eh, by about six and a half on a neutral. They they play they hung with Wake Forest for a bit at home. All right, fair enough. Uh, all right, I'm going to go Ohio State 52, Rutgers 10. So I'm pretty similar on there, a little bit more narrow of a margin. You're going to sweat uh, the over. You, we, we are going to yeah. sweat the over. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, like you said, Ohio State's going to have to get almost all of it themselves. I mean, you've got them cover, uh, uh, pushing it themselves at 59. I've got them a touchdown shy at 52. So uh, both of us on Ohio State and the over there. And then that brings us to Cincinnati at Tulsa, which I have no trouble picking this game. Bearcats are a nine and a half point favorite. The total is 60. You can just call me Mr. Homer this week, Skinny. I'm going to, I'm going to go UC 31, 24. I, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. And maybe it's just the way it's been on the schedule the last couple of years. Tulsa has been a weird matchup for them. And on the road, laying that, it just feels like a weird matchup for them. I think they're going to sweat this victory. I do think they get it because they're the better team. Um, but they're going to sweat it. I actually think Tulsa kind of stinks, to be quite honest. I'm going to go Cincinnati 38, Tulsa 27. It's not going to be easy, but I do think UC will will pull out the cover. And in terms of the uh, total number here, UC, all four games have gone over. Tulsa, three out of the four games have gone over. I'm, I'm liking the over here. Yeah, and, and, and Tulsa, uh, Tulsa's been able to score. I mean, they scored last week on Ole Miss. There you go. All right, so I've got UC in the over. You're on Tulsa in the under. There's an opposite side on, on both picks there to give us some separation, and that's uh, all we got this week. Let's well, we, go got, to... we got we got to have our, our, our one extra best bet. Do you got one? I forgot to uh, pick one out. I will pick one out here. Uh, what, what do you have? I got, I got. believe it or not, Carolina in the NFL laying one and a half at home to Arizona. Um, Arizona is so weaponless at wide receiver. They don't generate much, and their defense is honestly trash. I don't think a lot of Carolina – but they 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 have they lost two close games to start the year. The one long field goal where the Browns beat them. Then they lost on a late field goal. They had a chance against New York and then beat New Orleans this past week pretty pretty handily at home. Um, I just like Carolina in this spot at home, just laying the one and a half to an Arizona team that I don't think is very good. All right, I like that. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna double down. I embarrassed myself last week by mentioning the Bills and even the Bills Chiefs reverse teaser. And uh, did terribly with that. Did did well with everything else, but got embarrassed with that. I'm going to go right back to the Bills. Well, I'm going to say they won't lose twice. I, I think the Ravens are very good and they are at home. But yeah, the, and and Baltimore's a dog to build Buffalo at home. Really? I know. I know. I'm, I'm going yeah, Bills I'm, minus three again. I'm doubling down on the Bills. I think I'm teasing Baltimore up in a couple of things just to get You get me to Baltimore at home for getting nine. I'm, I, I feel good with that. Oh, middle it. Or middle it. I don't, I don't know. I don't like Buffalo. Then late. I know. Well, I might middle it then. Okay, then you middle it. All right. Uh, let's get in some Ask Skinny Anything. All right, let's do it. Are you buying Miles Garrett's excuse that he swerved out of the road to avoid an animal, and that's why he crashed his car after practice the other day? I've used that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I seriously have. I used it. I was driving back one night after uh, after working at the uh, KFC Lodge in Maysville, Kentucky, after a Friday night of working, I would go down there and serve some beers and have a couple. And I was driving home along Route 8 and caught the corner of the pavement. My car spun out, hit a fence. I was able to drive it home, and I used that excuse myself. Statue of limitations are up on that one. So. Uh, that was 1988, so I would think so, yes. Yeah. Well, nobody got hurt. Car just got damaged, and that was that. All right. <laughs> so... Uh, the answer to that question let, is well, you're not buying you, it, but you're fine with it. Yes. Well, here's the other thing. And I will tell you, uh, this happened four years ago. Is year Evan Prater in Wyoming. It was junior year at Wyoming when they won state because they didn't win his senior year. I went up to broadcast and took uh, an engineer and, and a, a camera guy with me to broadcast um, uh, Wyoming state championship game. And driving back, we weren't 15 minutes on this, this kind of four-lane highway when we all saw the deer come out of nowhere – I mean, dude, there was one of those ones that was so surreal. There's nothing I could do. Plowed him. I still don't know how I got the car all the way home from Canton. So, yes, I, it's a it's a plausible thing. Although, again, I'm even if it's not plausible, I'm I'm buying you, Miles. <laughs> uh, right, we've got a, a handful of quick food, beer, drink questions here. I love food, beer, drink. Uh, favorite October beer? Do you base your beer drinking on the season, Skinny? You don't strike me as that type of guy. Nope, I'm not that type of guy. I'm not the pumpkin spice guy or the shandy guy. I'm literally my beer du jour I've talked about is Heineken, and if I'm out somewhere you know, where they have some crafts, I'm usually a Bell's Two-Hearted guy. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a seasonal beer guy. And then I, a beer flavored beer guy. I'm literally fine going to a restaurant and ordering a Bud Light. I'm fine with that too. So yeah, I'm a guy to quote the great Dennis Leary. I want beer flavored beer. Yep. Uh, what kind of wine do you suggest for a home cooked steak dinner? Oh, uh, Cabernet. I'm, I'm, I'm a big red wine guy. Uh, Cabernet for sure. Have you gotten the chance to taste the jackpot Joey beer yet, Skinny? I've not. <laughs> I, I I may have to ask those. The, the I may have to ask for a six pack. I, I have to go get 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 some of that. I I'm, I'm kind of interested in it. Uh, also, I'm just about absolutely certain I know the answer to this. Uh, mm-hmm. If not, I'd be very disappointed in you that you didn't tell us. But have you done the one chip challenge? Somebody wanted to know. I'm not sure what the one chip challenge is. That you buy one chip. It's like eight dollars. It's super hot, and like then people puke from eating it and cry and everything because it's so hot i, uh, I don't well, understand I, I, it i'd have i'd have to know the scoville level of of the heat it, off the charts the hottest thing you've ever been around i mean it's no, like no, no, it ruins the, people's lives yeah that's the thing i i i don't want to eat something that has heat just for heat i like the i like like a medium hot sauce wing i like a little bit of heat to give it a little kick but i also want to be able to have some flavor to it yeah this isn't for that this isn't for enjoyment or flavor or anything like that this is for people to go viral on social media when they make a fool out of themselves and cry puke snot out of their nose all that stuff dude dude uh, the, the buffalo wings and rings medium sauce to me is so perfect it's got You'll drink just, it i will drink it i've You'll done it. it i love that i'll drink the sauce it's awesome uh, why? How are we? I mean, my brother's like an accountant for the company. How are we not sponsored by Wings and Rings? Yeah, Wings Sales and Rings. Guys, get on. on I'll, I'll invite people to have a have a have a wing sauce drinking contest. We'll uh, do a podcast live from the, yes. the Greendale slash Lawrenceburg Wings and Rings. Watch some games and uh, drink some sauce. We, we can actually take the podcast around. We can go to the Crestview location too on occasion. Oh man, a barnstorming podcast tour of yes. Wings and Rings joints would just be incredible. Up on Wings and Rings at Wings and Rings on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, I might have to talk to my brother see if we can get that started there. Uh, all right, if you were to be indefinitely suspended from your college basketball team, what would be the reason for your suspension, Skinny? <laughs> Got caught drinking. I mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, I, I, listen. I, I, I used. To, I, I, I respect curfews. I always was one of those guys. I respect rules, but yeah, probably for drinking. I could, I could see that. Uh, you know what mine would be, right? Um, no. So I'm interested now that you bring that up. What would it be? Telling the coach to go f himself after he tells me to take a charge. <laughs> Set up for a charge. You know what? I'm not sure that would be an indefinite suspension. That would be get your shit and go. I think you're right. I think <laughs> my my suspensions would be a bit more permanent. Yep. Uh, all right. We'll wrap it up with this. What's the weirdest non-sporting occurrence you've ever seen in a stadium? I guess this was uh, brought on by uh, another squirrel in a stadium situation. Is that right? Um, I saw a video. Well, no, there, 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 was, there, was the, there was the bees on the goalpost. At a stadium. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But what uh whether it be something on the field, animals running loose, fans doing stuff, what's the weirdest non-sporting occurrence you've ever seen in a stadium? The the the, the dude who who well, I guess it was a sport, but I mean the, the dude who stole the ball from from Brett Favre in Cincinnati. Oh, that's right. Nude nudie guy. Remember, right? remember, wasn't remember, he naked? Yeah. No, I don't think he was naked. Oh, he I thought ran, he was. He, he just ran out. I think the, the Packers were driving to tie or take the lead, and he came out right before the snap and stole the football. I, I do remember that. For some reason, I thought it was a streaker. I guess it was just a runner onto the field. But um, you know, yeah. being there when John McSherry died, the umpire at the Reds' opening day. Was oh weird. yeah, that was and weird. Obviously weird. Um, believe it or not, I've been to a bullfight before. I know that's a sporting event itself, but it's kind of weird to watch. I've been to a bullfight in, in in Acapulco before. Wait, bull fight? Like they the bulls fought, or like a guy no, like doing like, the rodeo? Like, yeah, the guy. No, the guy, the matador, and the whole thing. Oh, oh okay, all right. Is that called a bullfight? Yes. Know. Oh, okay. I don't know. That's what. It, all right. Um, I I think this was 2018, maybe. Don't don't hold me to that. I, the Bengals played the Dolphins, so I, whatever year that was, where the Bengals were at home game against the Dolphins. Yeah, that, that was the. Th- was it a day game or the Thursday nighter? I think it was a night game. Yeah, that was the that was the last time they wore. The, that's when they wore the white uniforms. They wore the the orange helmets that night, but they wore the all white uniforms. Right. So I that think was that was twenty sixteen. It was sixteen, I think. Oh, okay, sixteen. Maybe that was it. I don't know. It was or a Bengals Dolphins yeah. game. I remember that. Okay. And um, I was there. I, I witnessed. I was too, uh, as a fan, and I witnessed. Uh, this was not Bengals fans. They were Dolphins fans. Um, 
a couple, you know, the areas where you can kind of like stand uh, those sort of landing areas at the bottom of like a section where they got the little uh, partitions, glass partitions and kind of a landing area. Sometimes you'll see the security guards stand in there and look up at the crowds and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a couple standing there and uh, pretty intoxicated, doing a little PDA. And next thing you know. My man's getting a little oral sex in the middle of the Paul Brown Stadium. Well, now that you bring that up, this was uh, a handful of years ago when the Bengals played the Bills. Um, Mo Egger made this trip. A friend of his made this trip. Um, uh, my friend Todd Curlis, who you know, made this made this trip. And uh, so Mo and a couple other guys drove separately. I, I had a parking pass because I was covering for the media. Todd had bought a ticket as a fan. So we're driving to where we're going to park, and we're kind of stopped because traffic's slow. And he looks over, he goes, oh, my heavens. And there was a group surrounding this this couple, but you could clearly see this couple was just doing it right there in the uh, in the tailgate area. Not Well, uh, who knows? With the Dolphins coming back to town this week, not only do they have some uh, some things going on during the games, but I saw last week they actually brought strippers out to their tailgate, Very- set up a little stage and just had strippers going at the tailgate in Miami. So anything goes, man. Yeah. Anything goes. Be- beautiful. It's a good way to end this, actually. Yeah, that's, that's all I got. All right, good stuff. Thanks, as always, for the questions. We will be back, as I mentioned. Uh, you, by the time you wake up on Friday morning, we'll have the Bengals postgame podcast up for you, unless you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. But it'll be up soon enough uh, after the game. So uh, we will have that for you. We'll be back to our normal podcast spot for this podcast next week. Thanks for the questions today early, and thanks for listening. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Keefe for the First Community Morning. <laughs>